We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. Steve Dace here for Freedom Fest, the biggest and most successful liberty event of the year, attracting thousands of people, including hundreds of liberty-oriented speakers, think tanks, nonprofits, and sponsors. This year's Freedom Fest is taking place in Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. Exploring new frontiers is the theme of this year's festivities and includes sessions on technology, the liberty movement, politics, investing, business, education, healthy living, and much more. John Stossel, Lisa Kennedy, Dan Bongino, Deneen Burrell, Steve Forbes, Jim Rogers, and even Star Trek's own William Shatner will keynote the event. Register today for $100 off the regular rate by using code CRTV100 at the checkout. You won't want to wait, though. This code only works for the first 100 registrations that use it. Freedom Fest 2017, coming to Las Vegas, July 19th through the 22nd. It'll be here before you know it. Go to FreedomFest.com for more information and to sign up. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We'll get to some of your feedback coming up a little bit later on in the program. Also, Mike Woody's going to take us to the movies later on in this hour, as well as this week's sign, The Apocalypse is Upon Us. Kim is back after a brief hiatus. We have the Dace Group Roundtable next hour on the show, your weekly look at the week that was. And i got to warn you. It has not been a good week for conservatives. And that is likely to carry over into our take on things when we get there next hour. I want to begin, though, with this story, because we often talk about the intersection of faith and culture on this show. We're a biblical worldview show. And that's why I'm a conservative, because I I believe in conserving things. The things that history has has shown are what's best for the human condition. Many of those things, not all, but many of those things come out of a biblical worldview. And when we address this, we often do so from an evangelical or a Protestant bent, because that's my native tribe, so I'm, it's what I'm the most informed on, uh, and, and therefore it, it, it helps me to resist the temptation to outkick my coverage. But there is a story today, and I really don't want to go uh, to uh, to Token over here, but Todd is is the Catholic, the official representative of Rome here on the show. 
There is a story today at LifeSite News that uh, I know you have seen, and I tweeted this out earlier. And I found it fascinating, and I found it disturbing. Because I've, 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 I've seen this language before. I've, I've seen this flawed, exegetical uh, analysis before. What's what is attributed to the Pope here in this life? And this is and how, what have I always said to my fellow evangelicals about how the how Catholicism is covered in the mainstream media? Many of the people in the media are lapsed Catholics or liberals from places out east where Catholicism is a, a dominant cultural influence. And so they often uh, project and wish cast what they want Rome to say on their coverage. So be very careful about trolling Catholicism as an evangelical based off of what you get in the mainstream media. That's one of the reasons why we don't do it a lot on this show. But LifeSite News is one of my favorite conservative news sites. I think it's one of the best there is. And the gal who wrote this, Melissa Bourne... Um, Lisa it, Bourne, I know Lisa her. Bourne, you know Lisa? Our kids have been in the same catechism class. Yeah. All right, so I mean, she's got street cred here. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this. And, and whether you're Catholic or not, if you are a Christian, this, this story should concern you. Pope Francis is the most visible Christian leader on this planet. And what is asserted here, if he is serious about going through with these talking points will have far-reaching cultural implications throughout the West, including here in the United States. If you look at many of the many of the most trusted conservative leaders and thinkers we have had in this last generation were Catholic. I think of Robbie George at Princeton University, for example. Antonin Scalia, who died almost a year ago, Catholic. I've often made this joke, Todd. Um, I, before I was born, evangelicals, Protestants didn't want to vote for a Catholic that would listen to the Pope. Now they only want to list, vote for a Catholic that will listen to the Pope. Although, when we go through this story, that may change. Here is the headline. Pope yet again derides defenders of church teaching as not like Christ. Yet again would seem to denote that this has been something going on consistently. Is this true, Todd? With with this particular pope, oh yes, well, this from almost the beginning of his pontificate, the the having to go back and go through his parse his words. Did the pope really mean what he say he meant? Yeah, it, this has been endless. Here is the opening few paragraphs of this story, and I've got it posted up on our Facebook wall. I would urge everybody to go read it all the way through for yourself. Pope Francis took aim at Catholics concerned with with church doctrine again this week preaching at Mass that, quote, doctors of the law, unquote, were incoherent, hypocritical, clericalist, and lacking in real authority. Christ's authority was derived from his service and proximity to the people, and the fact he was coherent, the Pope said in his morning Mass homily at, Ca- at Casa Santa Marta. I want to stop right there for a moment. Christ's authority came from the fact he was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And he had that authority, whether he was among the huddled masses or when he sits at the right hand of the Father as he does now, reigning in heaven. He had that authority in, in, in before time existed, in the current time that we know, the linear time that we now live and know as existence, and in the time still to come. That, Todd, I've seen this language before. 
I've seen it in Protestantism. I've seen it in evangelicalism. This is social justice warrior language. This is hippie Jesus. Yes, exactly what it is. And, and it reminds me of a conversation I had years ago where some uh, Protestant leaders here in Iowa came in to meet with me to try and convince me to be pro-amnesty. And I sat there and listened over lunch for a half an hour to all of their arguments. And after I got done eating my lunch, I said, this is all horse pucky. Your arguments begin with the premise that Jesus was Che Guevara. So you're making you're not making a theological argument, you're making a political one. You might even be making a good political argument. But but this is not this is not a proper application of what the of of of, of what the church has taught the world about the nature of Christ and its mission to the world in the last 2000 years. That language is absolutely leftist language. I agree completely, and you or anybody else is going to have to get in line behind me when it comes to being critical of my uh, own church. It's not my my country right or wrong. Uh, but while we go through this thing, good or bad, I, the one point where he is right, when he uses the term coherent, uh, oftentimes there's an eggheadedness about theology both within the Catholic Church and the Pro- Protestant Church. Ultimately, Jesus spoke in parables for a reason. Sure. So that, in that part, we are not supposed to be speaking above the people. We are supposed to be speaking to them. But in every other part, I am with you and then some. That, if, if Pope John Paul had made a statement like that, in the context of, this is too we're, we're we're too intellectualizing this this is this is this is becoming too perfunctionary where the sacraments are concerned as opposed to and and, and we're and and we're just we're, we're doing a rote religion as opposed to reminding people of the relationship they now have through the church with their savior if you had somebody whose 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 basis in orthodoxy was predetermined, accepted, recognized, and established, and they wanted to make the point that you just made about the egghead version of what this means, I'm all in on that. You know I can't stand the lint and the navel gazing. It's why we don't do a lot of deep theology on this show, because it can drive people crazy into that realm. But what's disturbing there's two ways to there's two ways people come to this to the conclusion you just drew. One is when they see that um, that you're only teaching a God who is transcendent, but not one that is also imminent. It's not an either or. God is not transcendent or imminent. He is both. So if you're only teaching a God that is transcendent, then he he's not one with the people. He is over the people. He's the eye in the sky to our Alan Parsons Project fan over here. Okay, thank you. It, it, that's that, that's one way to teach this lesson. Right. And that is the lesson that Christ is trying to teach the religious leaders of his day. You tithe in every ounce of dill, cumin and cumin and spice, yet you reject mercy, compassion. You keep the letter of the law, which is good. He never tells them not to keep the letter of the law. That is something people often get wrong. He says it is good to keep the letter of the law, but not for not at the expense of the spirit of the law. That's one way to make this argument. The other way to make this argument is because you're about to make a postmodern, more relativistic claim. That that it's it's that that really your the Christian religion is to a worldly ends of justice, a worldly definition of justice, as opposed to the injustice that exists in all of our hearts for which we deserve hell, and that's why Christ died on the cross. This seems to be the latter. Am I wrong? No, because he's not about to make a postmodern claim. He already did the edicts coming down from Rome about uh, what Catholics are supposed to be uh, focusing on uh, for Lent are about uh, Laudato Si. The, the whole global warming thing, of which, if you read that document, there are many beautiful parts of that document. But he's asking us to obsess over this overlent instead of life, marriage, 
pick fact, any in fact, in, soul. In fact, mm-hmm. we had a fellow believer here in our community send you an email through our show just right. the other day. Right. Said, hey, have you, have you seen from the local diocese some of these suggested materials yeah, for, for Lent? It. And that's exactly what you were just talking that about. That is it. I mean, and this all looks like some kind of social justice warrior crusade on a, on a, on a, over at a, at a Berkeley campus. There's almost no Christianity in, the, in, in there at all. I can't argue with that. There is a paragraph here that I want to follow up on when we come back. And then I want us to discuss, so we don't get into theological weeds, what is the, what is the practical ramifications of this road? What, what would it mean here for our way of life if Catholicism's leader were to go down this road on an official capacity? We'll discuss that next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Class, meet your worst nightmare. I'm having these dreams, but I'm scared. Steve Dace. All right, back here talking about this piece at LifeSite News about a war over orthodoxy going on in the Catholic Church where Catholics are at war with the Pope over maintaining Catholic teaching, church teaching. There's a paragraph in this piece by Lisa Bourne. And, and again, this is posted on our Facebook wall. Go read it for yourself. It's worth. It's a worthwhile read. Because it's clear she is going out of her way to be fair here. But even with, even, even without tipping her hand per se, there's there's some uh, there's some ominous stuff here, including this paragraph. The Pope's remarks demonstrate a pattern of verbal assaults on Orthodox Catholics so established that a list titled The Pope Francis Little Book of Insults has been compiled in recent years. Further down in the story says the year before in his closing synod address, Pope Francis spoke of traditionalists with their hostile inflexibility who would not allow themselves to be, quote, surprised by God, unquote. Now, one of the big arguments for those who aren't theological nerds like some of us on the show are, one of the big arguments traditionally between, pardon the pun, Protestants and Catholics is the role of tradition in interpreting scripture and determining where the church stands and how then we are to live, right? So the the Protestants have the sola scriptura argument that ultimately scripture is the final authority. The Catholics have the argument that scripture and tradition, meaning how the church has 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 proven to how the church has proven to work in the real world. Is that a good definition? Uh, yeah, through time. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm, I'm trying to be a fair arbiter of these arguments because uh, I've I've heard I've tried to hear every side of them. So f- to hear a pope attack traditionalists when tradition is a plumb line of the church he leads, does that make your spidey sense tingle when you hear that? Because it made mine, especially this next line. You don't allow yourselves to be, quote, surprised by God. You know what this reminds me of, Kim? There's one of these churches in every major city in America. Remember a few years ago, you drove downtown Des Moines, and, and the old state, stately Protestant churches from the old mainline denominations that were built 50, 60, 70 years ago, and a lot of them now are either museums, mausoleums, or odes to liberalism. And one of them here in Des Moines had a massive sign a few years ago, and it was part of this denomination that had given up on being a church. They had, this was their campaign all over the country. 
don't place a period right. where God put a comma. You remember seeing those signs? I do. That's what this language reminded me of, Todd. Am I blowing this out of proportion? No, you're 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 actually uh, late to the party because you've been doing other things. Trust me, I've I've been living this for uh, uh, several years now. Yeah, listen, and of course, you know, you see this in the Protestants as well. I mean, this is not. Oh, yeah, just, I, I don't. This right? is, I mean, this is not personal. Catholics, if you're listening out there, do not. Do not take this personally. This right. this must be done, and, and somebody needs to take. Here's, the, here's why it matters to me as a Protestant, as an evangelical. First of all, we love our neighbors, we love ourselves. So I'm I'm concerned when orthodoxy is sacrificed anywhere. Right? I mean, we are to contend for the faith the scriptures command us, right? So whenever orthodoxy is, 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 is challenged from within, I think all of us as believers within the body of Christ have, have, a, have a stake in this debate. But this is the most visible Christian figure on this planet. Most visible Christ, living Christian figure on this planet. This is not the same as we just, hey, you know what? The United Methodists went nuts. We just go form the Freemason United or the Free United Methodists, and then they go nuts. And the you know, across the street, United Methodist. If this is this is going to dramatically, if he is serious about implementing this, this is going to dramatically change the way the world looks at us, the way the media reports on us. This has repercussions well beyond Catholicism. Well, yeah, what the fundamental point of his office. I mean, if we get down to the nub of disagreements, Catholics and Protestant, you've been given the keys to the kingdom. You have the power of binding and loosing. That is the exact opposite of everything the Pope is talking about. This loosey-goosiness, the being too firm, let to be surprised. You never know what's going to happen. No! We, that, this upon this rock, not upon this ever pile of sand. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, I mean, really, it, that's what's so frustrating about this. We, we, there's another controversy within the church on divorce and communion. That is more in the weeds. At least, if I disagree, I understand it. The Pope is running counter here to Catholicism 101. These sorts of statements, I would argue, run contrary, Aaron, to Christianity 101. See, this is this is where I was going with this. As you've brought up before with um, how, how, in a political sense, how we need to uh, cover what the left is doing. Because if we, you know, if they, if the Democrat Party nominates somebody to um, be its chairman like Keith Hellison, that's not good for the country. Well, if we've got a rogue pope for uh, Catholics, even if you're an evangelical, that's not good for our faith either. I know it's not a one-to-one because we're not enemies with, with, uh, with Catholics. But that's not good for the whole faith either. So that's that that is concerning. And that's how I view this type of news as an evangelical. So what's the remedy here? Because in evangelicalism, we don't really have remedies here. We have a process. And here's how the process always works. A group of a group of we'll use the Pope's word traditionalists. A group of traditionalists will form a splinter cell within the denomination as it begins to go down the toilet. And and the reason why Protestant denominations always implode after they accept homosexuality, it's not because homosexuality is some worse sin than all the others. It's because that's usually the last thing any denomination will say no to before it just finally abandons Christianity altogether. That's it's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's not it's a symptom, it's not the disease itself, right? And so you'll get a splinter cell of, of traditionalists in a denomination. They will fight, 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 fight. Unless it's the Southern Baptist Convention where you had men who actually stood up like Pressler and and Rogers and 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 purged their denomination of, of progressives, they will lose. They lose in every other denomination. We've seen this a million times. That's why there's thousands of Protestant sects and denominations. They will fight 
fight, 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 they will lose. They will, get, they will then just go start a new denomination, probably face lawsuits over where the property they're in belongs to the old one or the new one. And then that process just begins again. The new denomination eventually gets taken over by hell, and we go through this over and over again, and we just keep... Um, it, it's just we we go through what's that uh, process in biology where the cells just keep dividing um, division uh, div- cell division and they do well there's a word for it actually where they divide and then they just reform new cells that's what happens in Protestantism and this just drain circling goes on for centuries now what is the remedy in Rome what's the remedy to this well you just you just grit and bear it until this guy well, passes no, no, on the remedy has been ongoing in terms of a particular segment of the uh, college of uh, cardinals who have been pushing back and it, it there's a mini cold war uh, going on but in the meantime the new cardinals that are put in place are put in place uh, by the current pope so you get where, where there was a, a, a groundswell of conservatism under John. Uh, I mean, the, the College of Cardinals expanded greatly under Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Benedict. But then, if it's uh, now um, backfilled with uh, ideo- people who are uh, ideologically uh, different, we're in a position. A de- our deacon at our church talked about how, and he's in uh, late sixties. He talked about you know we my generation who are the current group of bishops. He said quite frankly, we need to die. I mean, we we need to be gone. I mean, it's not going to change wholesale until this. Be, this is forty years in the desert. Can, can Steve. a pope be re, can a pope be removed? Is that possible? Can, it, it, I mean, that you are talking about the D Day option exactly. So I mean, this it, is not. We're not. It makes impeachment look like preschool. So. This is a story that I think is worthy of following up on because I, to me, we've gone beyond translation issues. To, we, to me, I think we've crossed kind of a Rubicon now. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The power of principles. Steve Dace. Listen, we all need some good news, right? We just got through talking about the most visible Christian leader in the world going hard left, getting his SJW on. We've gone from WWJD to SJW, right? When you, when you, when you have a depressing opening to the show like that, you really need to switch gears. Especially with Mike Woody on deck. I mean, it just it gets worse from here. And so we know that you need to pick me up, and that's why. We are officially bringing you the worst of humanity's worst again for this week. With this week's sign, the apocalypse is upon us, Aaron. Thank you, Steve. It is time for a little story time, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is the Ballad of Tommy Tammy. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, Pennsylvania, (laughs) there was a man named Thomas. But there was something special about Thomas. See, Thomas was a man trapped inside a man's body because um, that's, uh, that's what it actually means to be biologically male. But that's, that's, that's not what was special about Thomas. What made Thomas special is that one day, Thomas decided he felt pretty. So Tommy became Tammy, and Tammy got boobs and mutilated himself. And then Tammy got a husband, and another husband. Four more husbands Tammy had before he went to jail for killing her husband after Tammy botched his castration. While still being Tommy this entire time. Tammy. Tommy. Tommy. Exactly. Tommy. Yes. Yes. Tammy was sentenced 
to 5.5 to 11 years in prison. And even after he was released, he insisted his husband died of complications from a drug overdose. Well, Tammy Tommy, or Tommy Tammy if you prefer, is back in the news. How about TT? How about TT? Authorities say TT was going through a security when he made comments that he had a gun and an Uzi and a rocket launcher in her purse, which... He sent through the x-ray scanner. As he walked through another scanner, he allegedly told the cop that he came here to shoot a judge. Police proceeded to search TT, but didn't find any weapons. This whole story surfaced again this week, which led to the, the, um, the headline from the Daily Mail, which read, Transgender woman, 58, who killed her sixth husband in botched castration, is arrested for threatening to shoot a judge. And that is this week's sign. The apocalypse is upon us. I don't know what you guys think, man, but tolerance hurts, yo. I mean, tolerance is a female dog. I mean, it's a painful endeavor. I, I don't, I'm not going to judge uh, the going. And nor should you, yeah, well, for mean, goodness sakes. Really? I mean, what, what's your. In fact, what do, we, do we even know what goodness even means? How about just, nor should you forsake? Do we know what even sake means? Is every meaning up for grabs? Well, that's my point. Yes. I mean, once we're neck deep in training land... Is I mean, meaning up for grabs? Why, why, Is that word's meaning up for grabs? I, I'm not going to parse his or her or Shim's reason for going after a judge. I mean, you know, potato, potato. Especially because they're a judge, so you know right away they're judgmental and they have it coming, right? Something like that. Indeed. Kim, your thoughts? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is just sad. And tragic. I, but Kim, is it? Here's what. Here's where you need, because we're going to argue about this after you leave. All right. So we need a woman to settle this argument. Is it? Is it Tammy? Tommy? Or is it Tommy? Tammy? What do you say? What say you? <laughs> it's Tommy. It's just Tommy it's by just, itself. It's just Tommy. See, I'm I'm always fine with calling people by whatever name uh, they want to, but it's like with Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, that's Caitlyn is just kind of a weird name for a dude. Tammy is kind of a weird name for a dude. Yeah, I've always looked at it as I'm doing Bruce a solid, right? I mean, I don't care if you were a decathlete or not. You were getting beat up every day after school. If you're if you're a dude and your name is Caitlin, right? You know, what I mean, I mean, that's just the way the world works, man. So, I don't view myself as being a bigot, and I don't know where where you guys get off imposing your narrow minded views of what a bigot is upon me. I've got a, you know, we, I've got a much broader view of what it looks like. To me, I'm doing him a solid by calling him by. You Bruce. were bo- plus you were born that way, Steve. So, I mean, exactly. Why- I can't. I mean, I can't help being. Uh, I can't help being the, the insufferable, narrow-minded bigot I am. It's an orientation. It's really a compulsion. In fact, I, I've, I've tried to control it, but I have to act out. Uh, that there can there is no self-control involved whatsoever. In fact, the more that you get me talking about this, Todd, the more I become convinced that I am a victim, and there should be a subsidy for this. Preach. I'm, I'm guessing I should the reduced next lunches or something. The next this, protective right? uh, class is daceism. I identify as a uh, as a dace. I think that's. Is there a cream for that? Yes. What, what I'd like to do is I'd like to identify as a rich person's uh, bank account, or, or identify as that person. Now, I identify as you. 
Why, why, where are you to tell me I can't do that? Where are the limits? Your bank account already identifies as a rich person. You're the one suppressing it, Steve. Exactly. Thank you. We're in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't mind us. There's only the future of the country at stake. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here, Mike Woody, taking us to the movies here on the Steve Dace Show on a Friday night here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. It is a big weekend at the Dace household. Noah hits double digits tomorrow. Uh, It's a big day for him. I'm quoting him directly with that. And for about a year now, he has been very excited to hit double digits. Uh, He's been very excited to hit double digits because it's also the weekend of 10-year-old Nirvana. The merging, the harmonic convergence, mind you, of the ultimate franchise alignment marriage if you are a 10-year-old boy. Lego... And Batman. And he can't wait. And as much as I love the Lego movie, and as much as I'm a fanboy for superheroes, neither can I. I was going to say, I don't think he's the only 10-year-old in the house that's excited about this. <laughs> no, but I mean, the fact, it's like he thinks they he thinks they released it this weekend for his birthday. They did. Because of him. Like, he's convinced of it. All right? Like, this was done specifically for him. He is jacked. That kid is stoked for this weekend. So what's out that what came out last weekend that you want to review? Uh let's talk about we've got a movie called The Comedian which kind of snuck into Des Moines and I can see after seeing it why and then uh The Space Between Us. So The Comedian is Robert De Niro is a washed up retired stand-up guy, right? Well, he he plays a character who was a sitcom star in some stupid sitcom. And it's been years since this thing's been canceled. He's trying to do a stand-up thing, and all anybody wants to talk to him about is the sitcom. So they've got – I'm just telling you, the stars in this movie alone are huge. I mean, it's like Billy Crystal and Charles Grodin. All of these great people that are so funny have all gathered for this movie that is not funny at all. It's just – How's that possible? I don't know. I really don't. It's. I sat there. I just wanted to leave. It was bad. And the talent wasted was crazy. What was the last good movie Robert De Niro was in? I don't know what I'm asking. What was the last one? Oh, boy. It's been a while. Hang on. Let me pull it up and see. I'm asking. Do you know when the last good movie he was in was, Todd? Do you know? Aaron's looking at me like, what's a Robert uh, De Niro? Yeah. One that popped into my head that I saw was the, the, the first with Ben Stiller where he's the father-in-law. I know they made like two more afterwards that I didn't see. Yeah, that is that one. Meet the Fockers? Is that yeah, what that that's is? What it, yeah. was. Okay. it had a couple funny Yeah, and that moments. had its moments, yeah. Okay, I'll give you that one. Yeah, when but, was the last But one? I don't think we can give him... Wasn't that like 2002? Oh, it's 2003? probably a decade ago. It's been a while. Oh, I'm looking and it's bad. It's bad. You know, first you got to get past... Dirty Grandpa. Oof. I, don't even, I don't even know what that is. I don't know, but I had to. I went to confession about twenty times. 
Silver Linings Playbook. He was okay. There's there. one that was a that was a that was best brilliant. picture nominee. I think he was right? in Joy. Okay. He did a good job. I don't know what that. Joy is, but you're right. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. That's a great movie, by that's the way. That's true. Okay, there's one. Okay, but that's, that's about three years ago now. Oh, uh, that was 2012. So four years ago. Well, five yeah. now because it's 2017. Right. How many mushroom clouds for the comedian? Uh, the comedian, uh, let's say one and a half. Yikes. It was brutal. All right, tell me about the space between us. We've never done this in our house before. We always do the Super Bowl as a family, usually have people over. This year, the girls decided to do counter-programming. Ooh. So Amy, and Amy, Zoe, and Anna all went and saw the space between us last Sunday night, thinking that like every woman in West Des Moines would be at the Jordan Creek Mall to see this to get away from the Super Bowl. Yeah. Cavernous. I mean, nobody was there. It was practically empty. So they went and saw they this. must have read the reviews. So they went and saw this movie. They all loved it. Even Amy told me she was surprised how much she liked it. And that's what I, they told me going into the theater. I said, okay, how bad's it going to be? And they said, you know, what we're hearing from people is it's not as bad as I thought. I'm like, I don't know if that's a I ringing think, I think the trailer is adorable. It seems like a good setup for, if you're looking for an original setup for a romantic kind of comedy. It does. You know, a kid born in the, fu- you know, in the distant, in the not too distant future, while his mom's on a scientific expedition to Mars. That, that, that's something we haven't really seen before, right? That, so credit yeah. for originality. Yeah. Yep. And then there's execution, which it doesn't get credit for. Uh, if you are a 12-year-old girl, this is probably one of the better movies you're going to see this year. All right. Zoe will be 12 in July. See, there in you fact, go. She, she may talk grandma into taking her to see it for a second time yeah. uh, this weekend. In my world, this is called an afternoon special or after-school special because it's nothing more than that. It's just this kid, the woman goes into space. Surprisingly, we find out when she gets there, she's pregnant. Well, she's in Mars for like four years, and um, the bad gravity or lack of gravity basically throws her into labor. She has a son. She passes away during childbirth. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And so they they decide to just they're going to cover this up. They don't want people to know that she was pregnant. They don't want people to know she had a child. That would force the mission to stop. And at one point, you know, the kid's like, "Okay, I want to come. I want to come to Earth. I want to find my dad, who, unless you're really slow, we already know who it is." Um, but I don't know. It just it had a couple of nice moments. It meant well. It just didn't work for me. So, how many mushroom clouds for the space between us? Two and a half. Which, given the fact you're a sixty-year-old man, that's actually not that bad. You're not the target demo. No, I'm not. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, not. I, don't, I don't mean that we're not. No, no we're I, just stating the fact. Right. We're not, neither am I. I'm a 43 year old man. I'm not the target demo either. Right. So, mean, so if you could stomach it to the point of two and a half, then it's bearable. Yeah. If you're looking at so here's what. Let me translate what Mike is saying in the original Greek. <laughs> Thank you. What what this is the this is the Saint Jerome Latin Vulgate translation of Mike's review of uh, of the space between us. Dad, now that football season is over, if you're looking to take one for the team, either with the misses or on a daddy-daughter date, you can I do would, worse than this. I would not take the misses. All right. So if you're so dad, if this is if you're looking for daddy-daughter date, yes, material this weekend. Now that football is over, you could do worse than this and, and take this one for the team. But you know what? For a daddy-daughter date, there's some unexpected. They, yeah, I don't know. Amy didn't come home and tell you about that? No. Uh-oh. No, this is the first time hearing yeah, about they, that. Yeah, they ran away, and he and this girl, because they're finding his dad, and then all of a sudden, they're naked under a blanket. I'm like, well, that's One of the things I'm noticing as the girls get older is there are certain things that they and their mom talk about that I am not privy to. <laughs> that's okay. You want that. Yes. 
Yeah, for the most part, you're right. Yes. How many it mushroom clouds? Again, you said two and a half? Two and a half. Was there anything else we want to review when we come back? Uh, yeah, John Wick 2. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The time to fight is now. Always the Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. All right, so quickly at the end of the hour, Mike, you have uh, reviewed for us The Space Between Us, giving it two and a half stars. Two and a half. Which for a 60-year-old dude is actually not that bad of a ranking. Uh, by the way, I'm not 60, but thanks. Close. Anyway. Uh, for The Comedian with Robert De Niro, one and a half. Yeah. And you are its target demo, so that movie must suck. All right, so what about John Wick 2? <laughs> now, since I am almost 60... Um, this is not this is not a movie I will enjoy. I don't, you know, it's 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 like a human video game. There's killing upon killing. The first movie was I found compelling. It just Keanu does a really nice job with this character. It is stupid. It is simple, but for some reason it works. And I was literally sitting in the sequel last night trying to think, why am I enjoying this? There is the body count you can't even begin to add. And it is it is bloody. It I don't know why I like it, but Keanu does such a nice job with this character, and I, I think it has. I, I, I saw the original, fast forwarded through several parts. Well, you can't count that then. And I to me, it seemed like Keanu Reeves. This was Bill and Ted. No, that's across, not true. This was Bill and yeah, Ted impersonating Bruce Willis in the Last Boy Scout. That is not true. Instead of play some rap music, you killed my dog. That's what I thought it was. They killed his dog. Man. They killed his dog, man. I, and and granted, they stole his car. I got a puppy buddy at home. I get it. The dog will sit with me all day long if I allow it. I'm, I, I get it. Don't kill my dog. But but this it seemed like a character Bruce Willis played in about nine movies in the late 80s. Well, this one picks up literally the minute that one's over. How many mushroom clouds? I'm going to give it three and a half. All right. It's it's a horrible movie. It's violent, but it's just he does such a good job. You'll need it's a compelling. silk shower when it's over. Yes. Okay. What's new on demand? All right, we've got something called Trolls, um, which the kids might want to see. Anna, Anna and Zoe saw this last year; they loved it. Yeah, I I hear it's really good. I was unable to attend uh, for some reason. Sock drawer was out of control, I think. Uh, but the uh, the major release of the week is Loving, which is the the true story about a black man and or a black woman and a white man in the was it the late fifties, Todd, or the early sixties? I believe the fifties in in Virginia who couldn't get married and there was a big life magazine expose on it and this is essentially that story i i thought it was one of the better movies of the year and it's called loving loving was it nominated for best picture uh it was not she was nominated ruth nega um was nominated for best actress joel edgerton should have been nominated for best actor but he did not get it hmm all right. So it's really good. It is. It's excellent. You've it's seen a, it, Todd? Yes. And it's a good story. It's a good history lesson for the kids. So next week, what do we got lined up? Lego next Batman? week, we're going to do the little Lego Batman and something Fifty Shades Darker. We are not going to do that. No. You may go do that. We will not do that here on our show. <laughs> but we are going to do Lego Batman because... Well, then we got a full segment on Lego Batman. 
<laughs> yes. Tell me more, <laughs> yes. Steve says. In fact, we might even make it two. Mike, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Hour two, the Dace Group is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Now we're back with hour number two here at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, a week from today is our final show here on the Salem Radio Network before we move full-time to CRTV. Beginning February 27th, you don't want to miss a single episode. Get your subscription today at CRTV.com. And you won't just catch every episode of this show each weekday, but also everything done by Mark Levin, Mark Stein, Michelle Malkin, and Steven Crowder as well. Use the promo code DACE to get your discount. That's D-E-A-C-E at CRTV.com. It's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was with a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, who this is an homage to his brainchild. Issue one, a bad week. Donald Trump seemed to spend more time blasting people on Twitter this week than he did actually getting stuff done. It all started when Trump said this, though, about Vladimir Putin during an interview with Fox News last Sunday. Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with them. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? And then it kind of went downhill from there. He later tweeted that he doesn't know Putin and has no deals in Russia. Later in the week, it was revealed Trump, in his first phone call with China, agreed to honor the quote-unquote One China policy, wherein the United States sees Taiwan not as a sovereign country, but as a part of China. He caught the typical ire of the media later on for his comments he made about them, but crap really hit the fan when he sent out a tweet blasting Nordstrom and defending his daughter Ivanka from Nordstrom taking away their product line. That happened, according to his own White House schedule, when he was in an intelligence meeting. His handling of the Ninth Circuit's judicial overreach also left a lot to be desired for those concerned with such tyranny, but that's a whole different conversation. All in all, not a whole lot of positives to be had from this week in Trump. It's only day 21. Day 21, 1,300 and or 439 days to go, 1,439 days to go. Are we going to make it four years at this pace is Trump? I ask you, Kim. I can hardly stand it. Honestly, I'm so fed up with the inconsistencies. You know, I mean, it's just like every person wants, or even in a marriage, to just kind of know, you know, who's going to be coming home each day. Is it going to be, you know, the nice guy? Is it going to be the ba- I can't hardly stand it. And one of the things, I liked your list, but one of the things that you didn't talk about was the civil asset forfeiture and the fight that oh, he yeah, got into. Oh, yeah, there was a state oh, yeah. senator. He's thre- he threatened into a live mic. Huh. Give me his name. I'll destroy his I career for you. I will destroy him. Yeah. So he basically wants to... Explain um, to our audience what civil 
asset forfeiture is it's it's essentially the idea that government can take away your assets when you're accused of a crime before there is a full adjudication, correct? Oh, yeah. You don't even have to be charged with a crime. All they have to do is think that there's some kind of substantial connection to a possible crime. And what's the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution say? No person should be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Unstinking believable. And, of course, the federal government um, uses this civil asset forfeiture to the tune of almost $5 billion in 2014. Iowa does the same thing. This is one of those things that really gets me going. So I think it was a terrible week. I can hardly stand it. Todd, are we going to make it at this pace? Is he? I'm, I Remember we joked during the campaign that the Donald Trump I used to know has no interest in hosting the Organization for American States for six hours on a Thursday in April. He wants to be down at the Mar-a-Lago hitting it with his uh, you know, harem of uh, strippers down there and teeing it high and watching it fly with Bubba and his buddies. It's day 21, bro. It's week three, and we're already tweeting about Nordstrom's during daily intelligence briefings. Are we going to make it four years, Todd? Depends who we is. Yeah. I mean, here's the part. Psychologically, emotionally, for me, this part was baked into the cake. I, I, and I think to some extent we're, we're all there. I mean, we knew that this part was going to be part of it. Gors, getting what, who we hoped to be Gorsuch was and things like that, even though he said he was going to do it, those were the question marks. And still coming down in just weeks, we have what? We have both the budget, we have whatever comes on Obamacare. So this is going to be happen no matter how great all the policy comes out. He, he, he is what he is. Now, do, does Republicans, uh, whatever that part is anymore stand a chance if we get more of weeks like this instead of you know week one and half of week two you know probably not but in terms of the broader issue of survival uh, we can survive trump more than we can survive his enemies Uh, the 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 progressive left is what truly if this country goes down whatever that is it's because of them trump as little self-control as he has has far more than that mob i agree with that but 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 many people in our audience voted for him to be our to be the buffer between us and those people i agree so where's that at that's where where, where's that at we're gonna have to find out we got kellyanne conway and officially in ethics trouble she's officially and she's officially had to be counsel on ethics violations because because when you're around him there's just this notion that you have to go all in and defend everything that's just that's just what he demands of the people around him and i've seen it with my own eyes and it's also what his persona sort of grafts you into so we've got her facing ethics complaints uh for promoting nordstrom's we've got sean spicer who by the way i'm enjoying his chris christie like humiliation every afternoon so let's get that going uh but but we had spicer out there saying the the white house has an official position on the nordstrom's clothing line see here's the issue this goes back to what i talked about with bill clinton in the 90s and Monica Lewinsky. The people who should have been the angriest at him were the people that voted for him, that that believed in what he ran on because he was supposed to be their champion to stop people like us from stopping him, right? Well, the people that voted for Trump, why'd they do so? Because they wanted more of the kinds of people that you just described? No, because they thought that A, he was a, he was the only option they have and A, and or B, that they thought he actually had the temerity to bloody these people back and beat them up and stand up to him. Where is that at? Where, where's well, that at? We're, we're, we're in the dog. Let me put this in baseball terms. This is the dog days of August. 
spring training hasn't started yet. Okay, I mean, you just answered your question though. Yes, it's only week three, but it's only week three. This thing still has got to gather some moss first. And listen, I'm in the uncomfortable position of defending a lot of people that drive me nuts. But we are still pretty early in the ballgame. As you said, we have to call a spade a spade and rip them in the moment and allow this thing also to have some time to get its wings. Aaron? I think what happened or what, what helped uh, during the time between the election and the inauguration and then for the first uh, week or so that he was uh, after he was inaugurated officially is that he was actually naming names as far as who he wanted in his cabinet. He was actually issuing executive orders during his first week in office. There were things that he was he was doing that a lot of people saw as positives. Um, and while he was still tweeting about stupid things and trying to pick fights this week, it doesn't seem like he's accomplished anything at all. So all the stupid absolute Trump crops up to the surface, and I think that's part of what we're seeing. I will make this observation, though. Read into it whatever you want. It seems weird to me that after just two or three weeks ago, the first time a sitting vice president has spoken, showed up in person at the March for Life, Donald Trump brings up the March for Life in the media, tweets about it, gives it the most media coverage it has probably ever had, and it seems like ever since that moment, this thing has just gone downhill. Does anybody else find that odd? Uh, uh, it is odd. Uh, and I don't, you know, we sat here last Friday and I was joking about how optimistic this was. When we left here last Friday night, you weren't actually here. You were off again. But I mean, it was, it was kumbaya. We're, we were oh, buying, I heard it. We, did you? Because we were buying yeah. the world to Coke last Friday you were. night. Okay. When I walked out of here, I thought maybe that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. I've done some pretty dumb things being <laughs> never Trump. That was just stupid. Yeah. A week later, and I'm like, oh, that's why I yeah. did that. And that's our ballast, Steve. I mean, th- remembering who we were and why we were that, that means that we don't have to be on this ridiculous emotional roller coaster every single week. I mean, we, yeah. we saw this week coming a mile Preach. away. Let's not be shocked by it. Well, now. I'm not shocked by it. I'm just pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I get amen, it. To, amen to that. I'm, I'm not shocked by it. I'm, what shocked me is at first when it looked like they steps were being taken to avoid moments like this. And that's. That's where, um, where, where I saw some optimism creep back up. But I go back to something I told you guys throughout the campaign, and what have I always said? I've never been around anybody who behaved differently while governing than they did while campaigning, right? Never That's seen true. it in my career, and you're watching it play out here with Donald Trump's presidency already as well. Exit question, grade Trump's week. Kim? D minus. D? I'm going with a D. You're all wrong. It's an F. This, this was a disaster. It can get worse. I mean, it, it, I know. I know. That's why I'm grading it an F now <laughs> in the hopes of motivating the student to not test how low can we actually... What's an F look Fair like? Enough. It looks like this. All right. Now that we've established that baseline, let's work on improvement. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue two, judicial tyranny again. 
Last month's immigration executive order from Donald Trump is now going to be dragged through the mire of the courts. The unanimous ruling from a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals yesterday means citizens of seven majority Muslim countries listed in the executive order will continue to be able to travel to the United States. The statement from our Ninth Circuit overlords read, The government has pointed to no evidence that any alien from any of the countries named in the order has perpetrated a terrorist attack in the United States. Rather than present evidence to explain the need for the executive order, the government has taken the position that we must review its decision not at all. The judges added that while the public has a powerful interest in national security and the ability of an elected president to enact policies, the public also has an interest in free flow of travel, in avoiding separation of families, and in freedom of discrimination. Trump's response to the tweet was that he'd, quote, see you in court. The courts overruling a president on something unconstitutional is one thing, but the courts overruling a president on something that is constitutional is something completely different, and it's exactly what we witnessed this week. First question, do you think Trump even begins to understand what he is up against here? I ask you, Todd. Yes and no. I mean, he does not understand it in the sense that Daniel Horowitz understands it. But here's how he understands it. He, he's been in how many lawsuits has he been involved with in his business life? I, can we even count? I don't and know. the one thing he was always missing is the superpower to tell these courts to just go get bent. I mean, he can he can have the retried, he can appeal, he can things like that. But ultimately, for every private citizen, there there is usually a stopgap. Here, he has the pres- the superpower of the executive, a- and he can just tell the courts. To go get bent, and it's actually constitutional. So while he he will never understand the game at the three dimensional chess level like Daniel, he is he is ironically though just the sort of person we need at this moment. A grumpy old man who just won't give a rip. So if he does not ultimately call the bluff of the courts on this, he's he's uh, this whole thing. Then that's when I'll be what we just talked about last hour. Well, I'll be pissed because what was the point of this whole thing to begin with? If once you actually were given the football, you didn't run it down their throat. Do you want me to answer that question? Yes. <laughs> this is I, why I, we show up. I, I will answer this question. I don't like this answer, but what I'm about to say, I absolutely believe is true. I think there are people that, for example, have a legitimate concern when I was calling to nominate Ted Cruz or Mike Lee to the Supreme Court because um, they just think that their talents could be better utilized elsewhere, and that's spreading us too thin to take him out of the Senate. I get that. I think you can have that opinion. I don't agree with it, frankly, as I've shared multiple times. But I think an intelligent person can have that opinion. But then I think there's a lot of people that didn't want them to go into the court, because you know what happens if they go to the Supreme Court? They don't get to be on TV. I don't get to watch Ted Cruz debate Bernie Sanders. I don't get to watch Mike Lee joke about socialism on television. I don't get to do that. Because this is this so-called movement of ours elevates Chris Christie to, to beatification because he dressed down a 98-pound teacher union hack at a town hall once on YouTube. Takes Trey Gowdy, who has never, ever been there on any key vote that we have ever needed ever in the House at all, 
ever. And he becomes somehow freaking Moses because he pulled Hillary Clinton's pants down once when she was caught in a bold-faced lie that any other primate with any sort of sentient cognitive ability and, and, and courage of conviction could have done. Because most of our people are fed clickbait. They feed off it. It's the oxygen. It is the air they breathe. Most of what they want, they just want to turn on Hannity tonight and they want to know, yeah, they stuck it to the libs, man. Libs suck, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they want. This movement is a reality TV That's, show. That is what they want. They want Maximus in the arena. They want carnage. They want limbs. They want to be entertained. They don't care about substance. If they did, we wouldn't have this guy as our standard bearer in the first place. Most of what the people that we associate with want, I hate to say this, and saying it probably won't do any, won't do wonders for the subscriber base at CRTV, but I'm not lying to people. I'm just never doing it in my career, no matter if it kills my career to say the truth. What I have found is most people just want their bellies rubbed. They want their itching ears scratched. <clears throat> they don't even consider policy whatsoever. They just want to know that somebody stood it to Rachel Maddow last night. That's why. Well, you're so right, but is that good enough for Trump? Because that's, ultimately, that's what Trump is. He is the embodiment the, of this. But that's what he is got the, him he, here. But the, now he, he is the embodiment of this. It is this idea that I just, you know what? I just want. I just. I want a music video. I want. I. I, I want the trailer. I don't want to watch the movie. I want to read the headlines. I, I want to scan a Facebook feed. He is the embodiment of the of the very of of, of what has happened to us. That I that I indicated. I, I don't have to listen. I don't know. I, I haven't listened to Rush Limbaugh in years. I haven't listened to it in years. But I will guarantee you, guarantee if we went into his archives, what we would find is the amount of time spent defending Trump on Nordstrom's or all this other stuff outweighs substantive conversation about the separation of, of powers, the courts, the Constitution, at least 100 to 1. At least 100 to 1. Same thing on Fox. Now, why did I mention those two? Because here's what we learned in this last primary. You can have a candidate that has, for, for, for once, actually has the resources to win that represents our value system. For once, actually put the organization in place to win. Has the exact environment it would take someone like him to actually win. And if you can't break through two or three of the talk show hosts, Nexus and Fox. It doesn't matter how many of those things you have. You are toast because clickbait is what most of our people want. It's we, what they are fed. We, we love reality TV. So we put a reality TV host in the White House. And how many headlines do you see? How many stories do you read about shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette? Oh, so-and-so uh, got hitched on the show. Now they're, now they're divorced. How many? Almost, I would say, probably every season. I, don't, I haven't done my research on this. But you see so many headlines like that. What happens on that show doesn't last, which is the point that I've been trying to make. Whatever happens, even if it's good during the Trump administration, is like a Band-Aid. But I don't see it lasting in this uh, bears its head again this week when Trump doesn't ju doesn't uh, go tell the courts to get bent, as you were saying, Todd. Nothing that happens here lasts. It's all just entertainment. See, I think it's very important that we talk about this judicial tyranny. And Daniel Horowitz is absolutely right that the Ninth Circuit is basically saying anybody has a constitutional right to come into our country. And then, you know, we have no national sovereignty then. We are not a nation. This is an open borders, free for all. But we also have to talk about the tyranny that can come through an executive Executive who becomes an authoritarian. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the civil asset forfeiture. And I could list other things as well. I mean, we have to be careful about that as well. So 
This is not a good week. Yeah, you're making my point there. The bull in the China shop, you know, he doesn't exactly know the ethics of why he's doing it. But if we get him on that course on that particular issue, it just works to our advantage. But you're right. If you get him on the wrong course, he takes what you have. So I ask again, do you think he really understands what he's up against? And the answer is no. And And you know what, though? It's not really his fault. It's not really his fault. We don't have a movement I mean, look at Family Research Council had put out a seven-page memorandum blasting Obama's LGBT order when it came out last year, whenever it was. Seven-page memorandum, breaking it down. Finally, what was it, yesterday, the day before, they sent a letter to Trump. Hey, could you get around doing that religious liberty order that you promised us? That's what we do. That's what we do. That's why he doesn't understand. We don't have a movement around him to help him to. Exit question. How confident you are this administration will stand up to the courts at some point? No, not confident. Yes. No. No. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group, your weekly look at the week that was powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue three. Mediocre Pence. Vice President Mike Pence raised some eyebrows a few weeks ago when he spoke at this year's March for Life. But this last weekend, being interviewed by ABC's George Stephanopoulos, he said something very curious about his vetting of Supreme Court Justice nominee Neil Gorsuch. Did you ask him directly about Roe v. Wade? I did not. And I, I... You know, what, what, what the president charged us to do was to find someone who had the background, the experience, the unimpeachable credentials, the character, but also just to be faithful to the Constitution as written. That doesn't exactly engender confidence in pro-lifers around the country. Other than a few media appearances, however, a speech at the March for Life and casting the tie-breaking vote in the confirmation of Betsy DeVos as Education Secretary, we haven't really heard a lot from the Vice President. Do you really believe Mike Pence didn't ask Neil Gorsuch about Roe v. Wade? I ask you, Kim. Do you really believe this? I do, actually. I believe it because, I, you know, he didn't want to know the answer. This is his, you know, plausible deniability. This is the, we aren't going to talk about it, so hopefully the left won't talk about it. I know it... it right, because it's never going to come up in his never confirmation gonna come They're up never going to come up ever. Yeah, this is... It's only their sugar daddy issue. They're never going to ask about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's just... He is such, I mean, really, this is a week of the throat punch for stinking sure. I mean, I, I heard that interview and I thought, oh, you're there will kidding be more. me. <laughs> you know what I thought? What, what? What, what, what I thought, and I, when I saw that interview, I, I, it, Todd, it just took me back to Rifra, Indiana. Yes, yes. I was just yes. going to see you take, and, you're and, taking and, it. And, and the Joker walks in in that scene in the dark night, right? And they've got, uh, is it Chow or Chang, whatever his name is, up on yeah. the monitor on closed circuit. Oh, my gosh. And, and he's their money bag man, and he's going to take their money to Hong Kong so that the, the, the GCPD can't get a hold of it, right? And the Joker walks in, and he looks at him on the screen. He says, that guy, that guy's a squealer. I, I know a squealer when I see one. That's exactly what I thought. When I saw that clip, I waited for Heath Ledger to rise from the dead, walk in, hunched over, and walk in and say, that, that guy's a squealer, Todd. That's what I expected to hear. This must be why I work for you, because you, almost word for word, you took what I was going to say, including uh, the Batman analogy. I, I More confusing than the people that are giving Trump a chance 
our quote our side that think noble things about Mike Pence. I'm not saying he's a bad person, but he is a very weak person. Yes. He is the uh, he is the embodiment exactly. of a Republican party yeah. that has going back to what we said, you know, saying things that never come to fruition. I this is why I I'm willing to bet it on black with Trump and the courts far more than I he am is the, this guy. He, I agree with you. He and that's why people because Pence is one of the reasons people went to Trump. That is said, true. you know what? Let me try a force of nature. Let me let me push the Hulk button and see what's going to how it because it's clear Captain America doesn't have what it takes. So let me push the Hulk button and, and maybe he'll tear some something will get. I know this something will get torn down. It may or may not be what I would prefer, but at least I will watch something get blown away, and that's worth it than watching nothing happen. That interview, Aaron, that is classic conservative movement Republican Party. How you get on the speaker circuit, how you become huge, how you sell books, uh, as you as you write these principal tomes about about founding ideals and what it means and and why we're conservatives and everything else and then when it comes time to actually govern to apply them to do something with them oh one day one day when there's 61 senators and a filibuster proof republican senate one day when there's 350 out of 435 members of the house one day when there's seven out of nine scalia's on the supreme court one day when two-thirds of the governors are republicans and the, and one day when when the liberal media is defeated that day we're gonna finally do all that stuff we pimped out in these books and in all these speeches for the last 30 years but until then well you know i really didn't ask neil gorsuch about roe v wade uh, george I didn't ask him about it. That's what you get instead. Yeah, this is, is I, I can't freaking stand this at all. I mean, this is, you're exactly right. This this took me back to Rifra. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a type of guy, he's like so many people in the so-called conservative movement, in the Republican um, conservative class, whatever you want to call it. Like so many people, he talks the right talk, and he'll maybe do a few uh, things, maybe throw the base a few bones, um, but when the rubber really meets the road, when they're are really things that are important about the future of the country, like we saw with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and we talked about at the time, the precedent that that set for states like Indiana. When the rubber really meets the road, their knees are weak as you can't, you can't even imagine how weak their their knees are. Their knees are the weakest knees ever. You you get what I'm saying. They, well, the I, I get that. Knees. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've ever seen weak knees like these before? Yes. I get it. Yeah, it's 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 excruciating, but it's you're absolutely right. This is how we got somebody like Trump. Exit question. Grade Mike Pence's performance so far as vice president, Kim? F. D. I'm going to go with a C. It's a C. And and it's going to be a C always because he's a C kind of guy. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was striving to lose every single listener we have before we ask you to subscribe to this show on CRTV. It's a funny marketing technique. We, we call it anti-marketing, anti-promotion, uh, and we're going to see if that works. All right, we're, it, it's sort of the, it, it, you know what, since Sam Kinison passed away, this space 
of demoralizing your own uh, customer base has largely gone unfilled. And we just kind of felt like this this was sort of the niche we were called for, and we'll see if it works. We are the Detroit Lions of the radio industry. Nice. The wait is over. <laughs> we're here. Uh, if you were able... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, first, let's get to issue four. I forgot. Aaron's got to do his intro first. Issue four, more questions than answers. Last week, questions about Neil Gorsuch's church were giving a lot of people even more pause about where the Supreme Court nominee really stands on some key issues. This week, a story surfaced from one of Gorsuch's old clerks. The clerk, who is a self-described homosexual, says Gorsuch was very supportive of his attempt to get quote-unquote married. But still, even with that stellar record on religious liberty, that thin file, as it were, on the sanctity of life is still giving people a bit of concern. The good news is, in just a short period of time, we'll have a myriad of answers on where Gorsuch stands from immigration to Roe v. Wade, as he's confirmed as the next justice to the United States Supreme Court. First question, if you were able to ask Neil Gorsuch one question during his confirmation hearings, what would you ask, Todd? On a scale of 1 to 10, regarding Roe and Obergefell, how binding is precedent from your uh, legal point of view? In other words, what precedes precedent, right? That's kind of what you're asking. Well, that would be the next question after given the, the, the number. So I, I got you. put that number in perspective. So uh, if something would, if it was a high number, it would be nothing or mm-hmm. almost nothing. If it was a low number, it would be, well, obviously you were pointing to something a priori. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, so that would be my follow-up. What is that? Kim, if you could ask Neil Gorsuch one question, what would it be? It would be, what will you do to protect life of the unborn? That's what I want to know. What are you going to do? You know, he's the officer of the court. He um, is to uphold the Constitution. There is such a thing as life, liberty, and the pursuit as in the Declaration. I want to know what you're going to do. Aaron, if you could ask him one question, what would it be? Um, if our judicial uh, system is based off of president, precedent, as uh, so many uh, people seem to think uh, that it is, or that uh, stare decisis, uh, what uh, what uh, makes something worth changing precedent? If a precedent was t- set, that that would mean something changed. What makes something worth changing in law? All of the questions, I don't have to ask Kim this because you just went to a very direct application of what you want to know. Yes. But you, you, the gentleman here, Todd and Aaron, you're clearly, and you even admitted this, Todd, you're asking a probing worldview question, right? You, you, you kind of want to get a, rev, a revealing of the soul. That's what you're looking at. Yes. To what end? What, what, is, what are you trying to reveal with, with that sort of worldview prompting that you would ask Judge Gorsuch? How powerful do you think you really are if you had this position? Well, at the very, I, I, I want to absolutely get out of typical judge speak and sound bites, and I, and ultimately, there's no guarantee. It's clearly watching enough of these, whether they're the right or the left, that you can get anybody out of them. Their 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 version of this is like in basketball, survive and advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to see if if one of these guys actually has the courage to get out of it. Uh, who, who who just his head does not go down, or her does not go down on the pillow tonight playing this game. I want to find that person. Essentially, what you're asking is, are you the kind of Republican to put this in a political context? 
Are you the kind of conservative Republican we can trust to vote no on the new bad stuff the Democrats and the left want to do? Or are you the kind of conservative Republican that will seek to undo uh, the the old bad stuff the left and the Democrats have already done? Is that sort of what you're getting at? Right. Can I interject? Sure. Because I think my question, the direct worldview question is the you know the essence of life the essence of existence and protection and um and i have found in my own limited career that if you will not protect life you will not protect my wallet you will not protect the borders you will not protect um you know school choice you, i agree this it's is more than a litmus, litmus test it, it's it's a window to the soul it actually is. and steve you were, i remember you telling the entire audience that f- the first time i mean you knew of ted cruz but you heard a particular speech i don't remember what it was where you just went oh this is different that's what i want just not the yeah. same old nonsense. I want to see if this guy gets really it. gets it. Yep. If he understands the opportunity at hand. If he realizes, you know, it, it, it now or never. That's what I want to know. And I would want to know that from a Democrat. I, I want to want to just hear the the answers come back and forth. Let's go at it. Let's see what this is really about. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Todd. But uh, when I, when I hear somebody say, or when I when I say I want to hear somebody uh, who gets it, what I mean is, you know, we we heard what Gorsuch said uh, in his opening speech when he was introduced. He he said a line that a lot of people loved, and he said, "A judge that likes all of his rulings is likely a very bad judge." And that's a that's a that's a pretty good rule of thumb. But at the end of the the day that's just those are just words those are just talking points at the end of the day i want to hear practical application of what he would do in a particular situation that is just different that just cuts through all the crap that cuts through all the platitudes that is actual a real and uh, right application of the law i thought the only thing trump did right this week the only thing was questioning the credibility of the federal judge which he had trash for but i thought that was the only thing right that he did I, a so-called I, federal yeah, judge. yeah he didn't go far enough Actually, he didn't go far enough, in my view. But Gorsuch released a statement through a spokesman criticizing Trump for this. Your view on that? You guys think that was politically wise heading into a confirmation hearing? Do you think that was a, a, a preview litmus test of, 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 of where he's going to come down on what you guys are on plenary power, which is what you're really asking about pre-existing precedent? How binding is it? Or, or do you think that was simply a moment in time? What do you think of that? Quickly, Aaron. Yeah, I, I think that was probably, I, I mean, just looking at it in a vacuum, that's that's a good way to go. I mean, it shows that you're not uh, you're not beholden to any one person or any one uh, power. So in a vacuum, yeah, it looks fine. All right, so Aaron thinks it's a statement of independence. He likes it, Todd. I, I don't know about that. I think it's some sort of low-level rope-a-dope looking like... Uh, I'm part of the team trying to stem off any uh, or, or some conflict, not any some conflict that from the grilling he's going to get. Kim? Oh, just grow up, Judge. I mean, come on. You're calling it demoralizing yeah, and disheartening? That too. It's too much deference to you the judiciary. You, you know, I think it's demoralizing and disheartening what the courts have done to the Constitution the last yes. 50 years. I hope I'm wrong, and we'll just make this our exit question. I hope I'm wrong, but I thought I saw a hooded or a shadowy figure that is humped over wearing all purple about to enter into a room again. I hope I'm wrong. Hope that doesn't happen, but I'm concerned I might be You're right. Listening to Steve Dace. All right, back one final time this hour on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network. Powered by Conservative Review. Let's get to predictions. You know, we like to spend most of this hour looking back. We now finish it out by 
gazing forward. Kim, your prediction first. Well, okay. I'm going to predict the first person to leave the Trump White House. And um, and it's going to be Kellyanne Conway of her own volition. I think she's going to be, it's going to be time for her that she just wants to do something else. I think she's the reason they can't fill the communications director post. Because even though she it, the position she's in forces her to say some cringe-inducing things at times, she's also pretty good at it most of the she, time. She is. She can turn the premise on them. She does a pretty good and job. And so a lot of people are looking at that job thinking, I don't want to take that job because I don't want to go out there and defend Nordstrom's. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I have no interest in doing that. I'm not going to do that in my career. And so since Kellyanne Conway is willing to go out there and do it, I think a lot of other people that would be interested in that communications director job are just sort of saying, you know what, man, if she wants to take the hits, there's no point in me take, going out there and taking them. Todd? Since this is the era of bad ideas in sports, just growing wings and flying, I, th- I think this putting a runner on second base in the minor leagues experiment, although it's the dumbest, most godless thing there is, is actually going to come to the major leagues within the next three years. That's terrible. That is, I would rather home run derby. I mean, I would rather <laughs> yes. do that. Anything. Yeah, I'd rather do Flip home run coin, derby. Whatever. Like shootouts in hockey, yeah. I'd rather do home run, home run derby, yes. Uh, my prediction is that uh, Alabama Attorney General and uh, now Sessions uh, replacement as a U.S. Senator from Alabama, Luther Strange, will face corruption charges at some point in the next four to eight years. So you you seem suspicious of a guy who got this position because, because he, he halted, called off he called you know, off a probe into the corruption of his Republican just, governor, you know, and you think that may they may be getting his Senate career off I'm started just, on the wrong foot. I'm just you know I'm going for the low hanging fruit here. That's what, my middle whatever hand. happened to the idealism of youth. You're way too cynical. Mm. My prediction, Warner Brothers will announce that the Batman solo movie with Ben Affleck has been postponed indefinitely. And it will be replaced by a Man of Steel sequel instead. I think there's just way too much disagreement about where to go with this. One day there's reports they hate the script. There's the next day there's reports they love it. One day there's reports Affleck is going to direct it. He's an Oscar winning director, by the way. Then the next day he drops out. Um, I think that uh, there will eventually be a solo Batman film with Ben Affleck, but I think it's going to get postponed. And have you heard reports also that Wonder Woman is a hot mess as well? Well, I don't know how much of this... You know, we heard that those other movies were hot messes. I liked them both. I thought Batman versus Superman was one of the best movies I saw last year. I thought Suicide Squad was a lot of fun. I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, okay? But, but I've, I have never seen a level of preemptive skullduggery against a franchise of films in my life. If I didn't know any better, I I would think Marvel is smart enough to just have trolls out there leaking stuff to the media to try and undermine DC's efforts. I've, I've never seen this kind of an effort to discredit movie franchises the only and we're not talking like movies that are political by per se the only people who would do it you'd think would be people that had an axe to grind you're listening to steve dace you are now about to witness the strength of knowledge this is steve dace raising a banner of bold colors no pale pastels people should not be afraid of their governments governments should be afraid of their people 
our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Your feedback that you've sent to us, steve at stevedace.com, at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, via Facebook, the the feedback, I should say, in English that you've sent to us coming up here in about 15 minutes. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed. It's time for three questions. Aaron gets to teach us Mama was right again when she told you it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. He can ask us any three questions he so desires. Nothing is off limits, not even when Kim is here. However, there is a rule. Just to keep him in check, he has to answer the same questions, too. Aaron, fire away. Thank you, Steve. Uh, First question, if you were the White House press secretary and really didn't take the job seriously, how would you behave on a day-to-day basis for the expressed purpose of ticking off the press? Pretty much what Spicer's doing. Um, uh, which I can't. I got to tell you, but he takes it seriously. That's the problem, that's isn't the it? Tragedy. You want to do the Melissa McCarthy? I know. Oh, I, I I watched that spoof, <laughs> and watching some clips of him this week, I I could not. I couldn't get out of my head. I mean, it looked like she was hysterical. You know, for years I've said the actor Daniel Day Lewis creeps me out. Because he is like watching a human in person, impersonate a machine, impersonating a human. All right, he is like a life, an actor pretending to be a life model decoy, pretending to be an actor. Uh, he's like the the acting version of that Burger King mascot, creepy dude. You know what I'm saying? There's something about him that's just not na- that's preternatural. It's it's un- he he his presence unsettles me. I felt that way this week watching any clips of Spicer. I, I, it just looked like Spicer impersonating Melinda, Melissa McCarthy impersonating Spicer. I, I couldn't. She so nailed it. She I did. mean, the look, the mannerisms. I, don't, I, I may never get beyond it, like ever. I, I, I may never. I may just be afflicted going forward for the next four years or however long Spicer lasts in that job, which I don't think will be four years. I would be a combination of. Ted Cruz, when like when he was uh, got in that sparring match with the um, the Greenpeace person or something like that, but I would be super casual like Ron White. I'd have like a whiskey in my hand and a cigar so that they like totally unfazed. I'm so calm while I'm tearing out your jugular. I think Melissa nailed it. I think going in there like her would be hysterical. I would love that. Oh boy, I I would have to do some. I I would it would be kind of a combination of just just a really unfazed but super super obnoxious personality. Just uh, something. So so Sean, Sean Spicer. Yeah, Sean except Spicer. for the unfa- except for the unfazed, unfazed part. part yeah. He's clearly phased. He is. He's phased continuously. But, he's, but, but like, he's got he's got the rest of what you were calling for. Down. Over, he's got that down. Over obnoxious <laughs> and just just for a little extra tinge of grabbing people uh, or grabbing uh, certain members of the press or just kind of punching them in the gut. Maybe just a, a an overtone of uh, effeminence, if that's a word in my voice, just because I think that that would get on their nerves really quickly for I the think express you should purpose. Channel Ben Shapiro. 
Yeah, I think that'd be fine. Uh, next question. If uh, a founding father, pick anyone, had a blog or website, what would they or what would they have called it or what would it be called? Um, they had it. Yeah, Thomas Paine was common yeah. sense. Right? Yeah. Publius. I mean, that's what I would do. Uh, Patrick Henry. I told you so. That's what it would be called. Or you should have listened to me. We were right all along. Um, uh, every argument that the anti-federalists made, that he was perhaps their figurehead. He was certainly one of their leaders. And maybe the, if he wasn't the leader, he was certainly the most eloquent one. Every argument he and the anti-federalists made has turned out to be true. And to over, because I, I feel the need sometimes to simplify things for a, a broader audience to get to a point quickly. And sometimes I do it to my own detriment. But the old, to me, I've always looked at the Federalist Anti Federalist debate as sort of a, to put it in Protestantism terms, the debate between Arminians and Calvinists. Where the Arminians were like, Arminians were like, yeah, we know people suck, but there's, there's still some good in them. And so we'll give them a little bit of freedom to do the right thing, you know. And, and the anti federalists like the Calvinists, everybody's terrible, total depravity, <laughs> spell it all out, take nothing, nothing for granted. All right, nothing. And then make sure there are copious notes, maybe even a concordance to define what all possible definitions of these terms could be, because they will attempt to manipulate them later, right? And so uh, maybe that's an over simplification of their debate you know but i've always kind of looked at it that way but they have been proven right to be they've been proven right on just about everything so probably i told you so.com how about the blood of patriots and tyrants hmm. thomas jefferson yes. looking for a little uh, secret service investigation yeah Wants to, the Jefferson, tree of liberty. Jefferson thought, you know, the only thing I didn't do in, in my first go around in this life was end up on a terrorist watch list so let's go with that blog there you go because <laughs> you know you are on one now. You I think mean, I'm you, on one? Oh, of course, because you homeschool. That's you true. believe in the Second Amendment. I mean, That's there's a true. whole list. Yeah, of what list did you get put on uh, the, um, so, uh, the, uh, the column, the Southern Poverty Law yes, Center? I, mean, I did make that. Yeah, box. I did make nice their job. bigot list, well, and it's I was the wondering, same, right? I was <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> I was wondering what I was going to have to do to gain this recognition. Frankly, yes. <laughs> Uh, I would do something, I don't know. If Ben Franklin had a website, he seems like the type of guy who would uh, do something uh, like reviewing firearms and beer, so like the right to beer arms or something like that, dot com. That's clever. The right to beer arms? From the Declaration that's, of Independence. That's clever, yeah. don't you guys think? Hey, I've been known to say things. Uh, question three. <laughs> You'd have a page on there as well about weird French chicks. Uh, that's true. Moving on. That would be the not safe for work portion of the site. Thank yes. you, Todd. Thank uh, you for that. Yes. If you could take one animal and make it the size of the elephant or of an elephant, excluding elephants, of course, which animal would you choose? Is this one of those psycho psychological evaluation tests where the answer to this tells you... Um, the fact that you're answering this means you failed that test. Yeah. <laughs> so so am I supposed to answer this? I'm, no, I'm totally confused. I'm, I'm just kidding. So if if I could take any animal and make it the size of an elephant, which uh -huh. animal would I choose? Yeah. Um. Wow. Um. And give us your reasoning for doing so. You know what? I'm going to choose myself. I'll, I'll you know there, I'm sure there's some Darwinists listening somewhere who consider us to be animals. So I'm going to choose the dace animal. I mean. 
you want to talk about go big or go home? <laughs> Ten times the fun. That's right. You're bad. You're nationwide. Are you kidding me? How would we get you into the studio? King Kong ain't got nothing night. on me. <laughs> I'm going with. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do that with me. That's what I'm gonna do. Wow. Well, we know we're not going to do the domestic cat because we spent a lot of money studying them, and they said that in essence they want to kill you if they were big enough. So um, I'm going to go with the border collie. I mean, we love. Um, the intelligence of the border collie, the service of the border. Todd collie. is looking at you like you're stoned, right, dude? You have a pained look on your face <laughs> that she said border collie. No, no, no. Oh, okay, hey, that's that's lucid compared to my. All right, see, that's where you're supposed to look at me. Because my wife is doing this to me now. What is that look on your face? You have a nasty look on your face. I'm like, it's my face. It's my face, man. I'm I'm past forty. It's what I'm rocking nowadays. It's what I bring to the table. <laughs> it's just it's not a look. It's my look. It's the only look I have. It's but it's what I got. What she really wants to know is what are you thinking? I'm not. Okay. Yeah. It's the. Age I'm thinking. Of Trump what, look. I'm, I'm thinking why. I'm, right now, I'm thinking what the hell is a border collie? But go ahead, Todd. <laughs> Uh, I think the answer that would please my nine-year-old daughter is a unicorn pegasus, but even bigger. Nice. Might as well. Um, I would probably go with a rabbit or something like that. That would be pretty cool to see the size of an elephant. Uh, Bonus question. What question do you wish I would ask instead of this one? Any other (laughs) one. Any other question, pretty much. I mean, did you think of this question? Of course I did. Why? I just, I just, it, I just said, why, of course just, I did. Why, why would you, why? Yes, I would why? think, I, question like, what is it when you're driving that drives you crazy? When you see other drivers mm-hmm. doing something, what is that? You know what, it's, um, what, what do you say at the beginning of the segment, Steve? I get question. to drive the car around here. <laughs> right, and you just drove us into a ditch. And right. I'm proud of it, you know? Anybody else? Anybody? So any other? Are we answering your question or Kim's question, or is it both because Yes, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is this real life? I don't know. So you're not I, answering this question. Uh, which question? What is this? An Abbott it's Costello any other question. This is the most successful question. It stumped <laughs> all of you. No, I gave you a question I'd rather you had asked. Except for Kim. There we go. Who's on first? There. Is this over now? <laughs> I think I won. <laughs> we all lost. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. How about we try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again? This is Steve Dace. All right, let's get some of the feedback that you've sent to us. The last few days, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Let's get through as many of these as we can. Lenny says, I'm a huge fan from Australia. Good day, mate. See what I did there? I did. I liked it. Did you like that? It's pretty good. Throw another shrimp on the Barbie if you like that one. Indeed. I'm sure you have heard this plenty of times, but do the apostles promote socialism in the book of Acts? Everyone sells their property, lays the money at their feet. Ananias and Sapphira drop dead for lying about it, etc. Lenny, excellent question. This is often a, 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 an abused portion of Scripture. Uh, here in, I think this is actually in Acts 2 where this takes place. Um, this is amongst the community of believers. This is not a government agency. This is, this is not the apostle said, um, we have a need 
uh, as a as a persecuted religious minority. So go out to go out and find all the pagan Gentiles and all your fellow Jews in Jerusalem, and and tell them because you have more money than us that you that that we deserve a cut of of your earnings and come and then bring it back and we'll share it with one another. Uh, that's not what happened here. This was a community, an, an oppressed religious minority that thought this was the right way for them to care for one another, to share one another's burdens. This is not done via a government agency. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, since we are talking about Acts 2, when all of these believers would have been all Jews, we are just beginning to go into the Gentile wor- world to take the gospel there. So pretty much everybody, I'd be willing to bet everybody there was probably a Jew or 90-some-odd percent of them, then they would have known their history. And in their history, when God does set up their forefathers as a government agency, through the Levitical priests, through the Mosaic Law, there is no socialism or redistribution of wealth as a part of the economy of scale that God creates for them, the culture that he creates for them. That is anathema to what they actually do. In fact, what ends up happening is the larger tribes and families get more land because they have more people, the smaller tribes and families. They're not victims. They have less of a need, so they get less. All right. So right on down the line, it's merit is rewarded. Uh, and yes, you were to tithe, but that, and that was a form of taxation. Uh, but that was done as an act of worship. That was not done. And by the way, that also wasn't confiscatory, meaning that a portion of what you earned from working the land was immediately taken away from you and sent off to the tribe of Aaron uh, for the Levite priests to distribute. That, what I'm trying to point out is it's exactly like not like it at all. It couldn't be less like it. There's no nothing in the scriptures to justify it, to validate it. In fact, you, you have to essentially defecate on the scriptures to make this case because it doesn't line up with it at all. I'm glad you asked me this question so that I could make this point because this is something that is often abused and taken out of context. Um, and Todd, you are smiling. You liked this part. Well, I'm thinking there's no greater truth Really, I think that we need to establish as a people who hopes to govern ourselves because uh, we as Christians fall for this and the left counts on being able to manipulate it accordingly. And despite your best intentions, you know, Aaron should be hitting the button right now where buttheads goes, uh, because th- this one, we are so deeply brainwashed on this issue, Steve. It's it's because we want, we want the it opposite to be true. To be true. Yeah. Don't, here's a good rule of thumb in general. Don't take your cue on what the Bible teaches about contemporary social theory from those who deny the core message of the Bible, which is man is sinful, man is created, man is fallen, man is sinful and requires a savior. And then one sweet day, Christ returns to reconcile us through all of et- reconcile history for all of eternity. That is the core message of the Bible. Whoever denies that, you would be wise not to take your cue on what the Bible teaches about social theory from there. Because or anything they, else for that for matter. That, well, that's a pretty good advice too. If they listen, if they don't get what the story is about, then why would we assume that they know what the story is about? Aaron writes, I check Drudge every day for news, as I'm sure most of your listeners do. I'm interested in getting away from it, but I'm not sure which site to, sites to visit. Can you please find out what is a great place to learn about current events and politics? I think this would be great for your listeners. Well, if you're looking for one good site, I would suggest Real Clear Politics, because it'll give you a pretty un- unvarnished view 
of, of commentary as well as audio and video clips that are often two, three, four minutes in length. So they're not just narrowed down to one soundbite. You get it in context. And you'll get a pretty unvarnished view of what both where both sides of the debate are coming from. Uh, you know, I like to think that we do a good job at conservative review, obviously. Uh, you know, but, if you, but, but we do some breaking news, but advocacy is what we are good at. But if you're looking for just pure, unadulterated, straight-up news, I would suggest Real Clear Politics. Also, if you follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show, just go into who I'm following, and you can see a lot of the different people from the various uh, sides of the aisle that uh, you see that uh, I take a look at to, to try and stay as uh, informed as I possibly can as well. Zach writes, Mr. Dace, it fills me with great sorrow to write this letter, but it needs to be done. Please know, I say this with the utmost respect and concern for you and your team. I will also note that I am young, and so my foolish tongue gets ahead of me. And into disrespect. So if my foolish tongue gets ahead of me and into disrespectful territory, let me know. I know you and your team, though, are hiding a scandal. From seeing you on C-SPAN, it is clear Aaron stole Todd's deep voice and gave Todd his own voice. You guys aren't fooling America. Just, I'm, I'm stopping. Hitting the dump button here. You didn't tell us this was coming. No. The, the video thing is really weird. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. This Art. is your reward for that stupid question you just asked us. Ugh. With the big bunny. Hey, hey. The if, one that I won? Hey, next, maybe tomorrow we'll have, if you could give Aaron one person's voice in all the world, whose voice would you give Aaron? Al Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent me an email yesterday where somebody thought uh, they were shocked that I didn't look like a young Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> that, uh, how did that happen? I don't. What? People are, yeah, really? Steve sent me an email. They that, thought you were some Bollywood. You had yeah. this voice that looked, made you look like some Bollywood actor. I think is who that guy was. Yeah. Right? I don't. I people really it, their imagination is this like. You know, people who you know re- read Harry Potter won't go see the movies because they're just they have their image in their head and they're locked into it and they can't handle the flatter society that's going to come. You want to hear something hilarious about along these lines? Is the first time I ever met Donald Trump in person, and we had talked on the phone several times, right? Communicated other venues, but we had not met in person. The first time I met Donald Trump in person, the first thing he says to me, and I kid you not. Well, you're actually a lot better looking than I was anticipating. <laughs> that was that was the first thing that he said, <laughs> he said to me when we were in person. You know, so I often get people. That guy. I, <laughs> and then what'd you say? I didn't know what to. What do you right? say to that? I didn't know. Thank you know, you. I mean, I'm, I like your shoulders. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> you know, that come over. That to come over really doesn't look like a orange squirrel. I mean, it's just. But you know, when when we try to place voices with people's faces, it's hard to do. You know, I've I've been told I'm way too I sound too, I'm I'm too young for my age. I sound I'm I sound too old for my age. You know, we get we get things in our mind's eye, and it's well. That's a, when that's you, for, one thing. Can, can, I've been Indian and fat so far. <laughs> <laughs> what are you people dreaming, conjuring? It's just a political talk show. Back off. <laughs> Well, now that it's clear that this doesn't bother Todd at all, (laughs) we'll come back with more in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. (laughs) 
declaration of dependence on the laws of nature and nature's God. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. The name of the book is Gosnell. The untold story of America's most prolific serial killer, soon to be a major motion picture. Phelan McAleer is one of the co-authors of this book, and he joins us now. Phelan, my name is Steve Dace, and thank you very much for the work you did in this book and for joining us tonight. Uh, thanks, Steve. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and it was a privilege to write the book. It's always, it's always great to tell the truth uh, and get it out there. Back in 2013, the, I wrote the second most read column of the year at USA Today, defending Duck Dynasty against political correctness. Mm-hmm. And I know it was the second most read column because I wanted to find out what I, who, who, who finished ahead of me. The yeah. number one most read column that year. Uh, mm-hmm. was a column written um, by um, a Fox News contributor uh, who's a pro-life Democrat who was who was escoriating the media for ignoring the Kermit Gosnell story. That was the yeah. number one red column at USA Today in 2013. Uh, and I think that just goes to indicate the level of cover-up that went into ignoring this tale that you tell in this book, Phelan. Yeah. Yeah, the media refused to cover this story. This is America's most prolific serial killer, uh, who, who also happens to be an abortion doctor. And the media just decided, we don't want to cover anything that shines a, a negative spotlight on abortion. So uh, they just didn't send the reporters along to this wonderful crime story, this massive crime story, uh, until Kirsten Powers, uh, your colleague in USA Today, and and, and really a, a right-wing, uh, you know, center-right bloggers, uh, Twitterers, just people who who just couldn't take it anymore started this massive shaming campaign and uh, shamed the mainstream media into covering uh, the Gosnell case. I mean, this this backlash against the media didn't start with Donald Trump. The media have been earning this backlash for years, and I think it's finally come home to roost. People, we have a whole chapter in the Gosnell book, uh, which people can get at, at gosnellbook.com. We have a whole chapter in the book about media malpractice. Uh, you can almost write the book about it, but you know there's so much more to this Gosnell story. Uh, but the media malpractice is a big thing, and it didn't work. You're no stranger to uh, investigative journalism exposés. I mean, you have a long career in that regard. What yeah. what attracted you to this particular story? You know, uh, uh, Providence. You know, uh, um, I I made a documentary about fracking, and I was in Philadelphia promoting my fracking documentary and I had a couple of days off and being a journalist with a couple of days off I don't go to museums or things like that I go to courtrooms to look at trials to see what interesting stories are happening uh, in, in the town and uh, I walked into the Kermit Gosnell case and I heard the most amazing evidence I've ever heard in my life I saw the most shocking photograph and I saw even more shocking was the empty courtroom and I remember coming back to Los Angeles and telling my wife, "We put, this is our next story. We're doing this." And uh, she said, "We're not doing that. We don't touch abortion." Uh, so I ordered up the transcripts, and her and my colleague Magdalena Spaghetti, they read the transcripts, and we all looked at each other and said, "This is our story. This has to be told." And uh, you know, this is what this is what this is why we became journalists: tell the stories others won't tell, to give voices to voiceless people. These babies who Gosnell murdered uh, lived for seconds, minutes, maybe an hour, 
but they had important lives. They've, they've changed people's lives. Uh, they may change the country. They may change uh, legislation in this world. They, they are important, and their voices need to be heard. A lot of people in our audience, Phelan, are aware of this story. They're informed. They read sites like Life News, LifeSite News, etc. Mm. Every night when the trial was going on, I was reading excerpts from the testimony, all the grisly details to our audience. Mm. I've written numerous columns about it. There's a whole, um, there, there's a whole uh, homage to Gosnell, for lack of a better term, in my most recent book, A Nefarious Plot, which is written by a demon general from hell. He he basically sings a lullaby to Gosnell. So yeah. my my audience is very familiar with this but what is when you guys really dug into this story without giving away the book can you give us one thing one nugget that even if you were informed on what on what transpired here that that you would be shocked to learn um well i mean gosnell thinks he's innocent gosnell thinks he's going to get out gosnell's going to be vindicated by history uh, and other thing gosnell uh believes the bible justifies his evil deeds uh, and in the back of, uh, of the book, we, he, he writes to us all the time, he phones us all the time from prison. Uh, he sent us a list of Bible scripture, Bible passages, uh, justifying abortion, justifying his deeds. And beside them, he, he explains how that justifies his act. Serial killer, soon to be a major motion picture. More with him in a moment. All right, coming back into the next segment, Phelan, you were talking, you know, doing another reset, Phelan. Listening to Steve Dace. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Day Show with Phelan McAleer, the co-author of the new book, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. Before we went to the break, Phelan, you were talking about some things that might even shock uh, learned uh, listeners uh, when it comes to this story in our audience. What else should they know? Gosnell's a creepy guy, but he's a plausible guy. Uh, myself and my wife went to visit him in prison to interview him. He kept touching my wife's knee. He, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a creepy guy. He's a charismatic guy. He's a classic serial killer. Very interesting, too. He's a classic serial killer. He kept trophies. Uh, he took photographs of his victims. He, he cut baby's feet off and kept them in jars and put labels on them. So there's a lot in this book. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a, a life story, but it's also a crime story. If you're interested in justice and, and some good cop stories, there's a hero cop in it. Actually, that's something that, you're, that your listeners might know. This started off as a drug case. Not as a murder case. I was going to ask and you about that. They they did not go there because he was violating the state's twenty three week or whatever it was abortion law. They went there because they thought he was running a drug mill, right? Yeah, and and they knew he was violating the abortion law, but the, the word went out: we're not getting involved. We're not going to intervene on anything like that because it's a it's a sacred cause. Uh, it was just it was a drug guy who said there's something not right here, and it's more than drugs. And he then and then he interviewed members of staff. Found out a woman had died. Looked for the police report. No police report, but a woman died uh, inexplicably. He thought there was something as rotten here, and went in and then realized that. Now he, he had a lot of blowback, blowback against him because he was a narcotics cop. What's he doing investigating homicide? You know they're very territorial these cops and prosecutors. And uh, he 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 fought through because you know he he he's, he's a professional. He's also spiritual. Uh, the cop Jim Wood. 
from Philadelphia. You know, uh, there's a lot of fancy top material out there, but you know what? I'm glad there's people like Jim Wood out there, let me tell you. When you see stories of men who are uh, clowns at kids' parties, who keep to themselves, mm-hmm. and they're uh, nondescript, unknown, under the radar, and then one day there's a tip in suspicion, you start digging up John Wayne Gacy's yard, and there's mm-hmm. bones of kids going back years, and we're all shocked. But in this case, this man's in a regulated, heavily regulated profession. How is it possible then, Phelan, that this went on for 30 years? He's in a heavily regulated profession and one of the most heavily regulated states in the union. Uh, because the regulations are just paper regulations. Uh, when you've got states like that, no one no one wants to enforce the regulations. The big assist uh, in this was from a Republican governor, a so-called moderate Republican governor. Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge. Yep. Yeah, he was elected on a pro-life or a pro-choice platform and told bureaucrats, I know the law says the clinic has to be inspected annually, but we're ignoring that. And the bureaucrats said, fine, that's great, less work for us. I may be taking you in a place you're not comfortable, so if I am, tell me. But... But I'm heavily involved in pro-life activism in my own state, and I've been involved around the country. The March for Life is this weekend. One of the big tactical debates we have within the pro-life movement is whether the battle is to determine, to define that human life begins at conception, or is it to try and regulate abortion out of business? Now, I will tell you my bias is the former, because I, I just don't understand how do you enforce these regulations. And I've been saying this since the Gosnell, since before the Gosnell case. I mean, if, if someone takes money to kill children for a living, what, it's not a big leap for them, Phelan, to lie about an x-ray, to lie about an ultrasound. I mean, we, yeah. we don't have pre- natal police out there, right, monitoring, uh, you know, uh, how far along it, babies are in the womb. So how are these things even enforceable? Yeah. Are, are we, have we essentially spent decades making ourselves feel good by placing restrictions that are mm-hmm. likely just going to be ignored anyway? What do you think, yeah. based on your, your experience in the Gosnell case, what does that tell you? Well, I mean, that's a good question. And again, I mean, I, I'm not a pro-life activist. I'm a journalist, right? Uh, I'm a stranger to the pro-life movement, or I was before I wrote this book, let me tell you, my opinions on abortion have, have shifted dramatically, I, I, I'll say that. Um, that's a, it's a very good point. Listen, uh, from, from our experience, the regulations are not worth the paper they're written on. Right? They are, n- they, they are not worth, I was going to use a word that perhaps your listeners uh, wouldn't like, so they're just worth nothing. So I, I think, you know, you, you make a very good point. Um, you know, you're asking leftist bureaucrats and leftist politicians. And, and by the way, this happens in Texas, too. There's a doctor in Texas of deeply red states who's just doing this. As you say, I mean, one thing that, that I realized after writing this book is that is uh, that no one knows what goes on behind the doors of these abortion clinics. So, um, you know, yeah, the regulations are worthless, completely worthless. Tell us about the movie uh, that, uh, that th- the story is going to become. What do we know so far? Well, the movie is finished. Uh, we tried to get a distributor, and the distributor said, great movie, too controversial for us. You know, such nonsense. But this is the story that the mainstream media don't want to tell. This is the story that the Hollywood establishment don't want to get, to get out there. Uh, but that doesn't matter. We're going to get it out there. The book is going to get out there. I mean, one of our plans, one of our evil plans, is to get the book on the New York Times bestseller list, so uh, that the New York Times is finally forced to actually have the word Gosnell in their pages. Mm. So... I mean, we're asking people to buy the book because it's important. We're asking, asking them also to buy it to send a message to the mainstream media. You know, go to gosnellbook.com, order the book, or go into, actually, go into your local bookshop 
buy the book and uh, get it on the New York Times bestseller list and, and have people in the New York Times have to spit in their coffee as they see what's climbing up the bestseller list. They don't want this story out there. It sends the wrong message. It casts a spotlight, a negative spotlight on abortion, and they don't like it. It sounds like this has had an indelible impact on you, the experience of investigating this case. Unbelievable. Uh, Anne, my wife and I were, were both changed profoundly by this story uh, in many ways. If you read Anne's preface to the book, uh, you know, we were sort of, we, we, we didn't really understand or, you know, particularly trust pro-life activists before this because obviously the photographs were photoshopped and obviously they were exaggerating what was mm-hmm. going on. Let me tell you, any of your listeners out there who don't know much about abortion, the pro-life activists are not exaggerating. They're not photoshopping. In fact, they're not graphic enough. The, the pictures we have seen pale into insignificance from uh, those posters that you see outside the clinics. The truth will set you free and will, you know, we need to have a debate about the truth, not about politics. Phelan McAleer, the co-author of the book Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. And I agree with his sales pitch. Force them to cover this by putting it on the New York Times bestseller list. Phelan, thank you for being on our show tonight. God bless you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Uh, All the best. Take care. Listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Wow. That was some kind of an interview. Not because of the interviewer, but because of the subject matter and. You can ju- you could feel, at least I could feel it talking to him. I don't know what you guys listening to the show and gals tonight thought, but I could just feel in this conversation that this was this was a formative, transcendent moment investigating the Gosnell story for Phelan McAleer, the co-author to the book uh, Gosnell, The Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. So as you guys listen to that here tonight, your reaction to listening to uh, the words of Phelan McAleer. Well... Uh- Go, Go ahead. ahead, My first reaction is yes. Gosnell is one of the most prolific serial killers in the United States, but let's not let's not kid ourselves here. There's no difference in what he does and what he did for 30 years than what happens every single day in the United States behind the walls of abortion clinics. There's no difference. There's there's a little bit more cray cray with Kermit Gosnell, but every single abortionist is a serial killer. That's that's. I mean, there's. I mean, they may not be chopping off babies' limbs and keeping them as trophies, but they are extinguishing life, and they are extinguishing life repeatedly. And what do we call those types of people who do that? And some of them are chopping off the limbs and selling them and for selling spare parts. Them. That's that's what's happening. There's just a little bit more cray cray. There's just a little bit more disturbing because of uh, some of the stories and the fact that um, this guy was actually went to, to trial. Um, that that, but this should disturb you um, every single day. It's not just him. It's every single thousands of abortionists in the United States. I was struck by when he said he took the uh, the story to his wife, and she said, "We don't touch that." 
and then he had to read the transcripts. Because when I was at the register, I got in a fight over this very issue with the wire editor at the time and our ridiculous lack of coverage at the register. And he tried to tell me, and we did this over e- email or internal chat or whatever we used. He said, well, it's it's a local story. And I said, do you really want me to go into the archives right now and look at the quote-unquote local stories that you've put on the front page of this paper because it suits your agenda? And he came back to me and said, are you calling me a liar? And I said, that's exactly what I'm calling you. You purposefully keep this away from people because if they saw the bloody godless truth, it would alter their perspective. This is the – propaganda isn't isn't even – a the right term because it's not strong enough to this garbage that is peddled on the people by omitting these stories from the public consciousness. How many people, random informed people, our age or older, if I said the name Ted Bundy, would know who that is? Many. How many? If I'm, how many of I, if I said Son of Sam, would know would would know Jeffrey that's Dahmer, sure. Jeffrey Dahmer, Richard Ramirez, or his 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 alter ego, the Night Stalker? How many would know? Right? How many would know John Wayne Gacy? Many would. Why would they know if those were just local stories? You're right. That's propaganda. And the biggest manifestation of media bias is not even the slant in which they cover the news, but which news they decide to cover at all. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 